Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Brant Hansen, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a minute. But here on the Learner's Corner, we do three things. We create a safe place to have difficult conversations. We learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with that person completely. And we believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, regardless of what that thing is as well, or whatever uh, subject matter or material, material that might be as well. And so today we're going to get into uh, a conversation that involves uh, probably uh, a, di- a very, can be a difficult conversation. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, masculinity today. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm so excited to have uh, this conversation because this isn't just a conversation that, um, that, that just doesn't, it doesn't happen a whole lot. It's more, you know, I think Brandt does such a good job and he talks about it in, in, in the interview. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to deconstructing max masculinity and what it doesn't look like. Uh, but one of the things, and one of the reasons why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation is because he talks about how do you, how do you build and how do you have a vision for what masculinity can look like? And so that's what we're going to get into here on the podcast today. Let me tell you uh, a little bit about Brant. So Brant is the author, radio host, and advocate for healing children with uh, correctable disabilities through Cure International. He's won multiple awards for Personality of the Year for his radio show, which airs on more than 200 stations nationwide. His podcast with his friend and radio producer, the Brant and Sherry Oddcast, have been downloaded more than 10 million times. And he is also the author of the books, The Truth About Us, Undefendable, and Blessed Are the Misfits. He currently lives in South Florida with his wife. Caroline. And I'm really going to looking forward to this. I do want to let you know, uh, if you have been listening for a while, or, you know, maybe this is your first time listening, you know, the best way to keep up with the show is hit subscribe. And I create a newsletter, which shares some of the things that I am learning from. And so if you're enjoying this, or if you're just looking for good learning resources, you know, check out the, the link to the newsletter in the show notes, or if you have something that you would like us to talk about on the podcast, or um, whether that be a person or a subject that you would love us to cover you know hit me up at learners corner podcast at gmail.com and yeah and, and i would love to hear from you or even if you're just looking to share some of the things that you're learning i would be totally down uh, to hear that as well and so without any further wait let's jump into my conversation with brant hansen Well, Brant, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you. Honored. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about uh, is, you know, content around, you know, your brand new book, The Men We Need. And, you know, one of the questions that I love uh, just to start with, with most people is I would love to hear just kind of the story or the series of events that made you want to write this book. Yeah, it's kind of wild because my producer, Sherry, she's my radio producer of my show. And she was the one suggesting I write this. And I I was kind of resistant to it because there's so many man books and I didn't need to add to the pile. 
and also I'm not that guy that you would normally go now here's a guy that should write a man book because I don't hunt or fish or camp or I had a truck for a brief time, but I wasn't man enough for it. So like I drive a mini, I play the flute. Like these are all things that would normally disqualify a guy from writing a book about anything really. Um, so, but her prodding was based on her perception of how I was a husband and father and the things I would say that like younger guys that would call and ask questions and stuff. And she, she has a point. She was kind of saying that since masculinity is a deeper thing and there's so much confusion about it, uh, maybe it's not, maybe, you know, a guy who doesn't climb rocks or hunt elk or whatever is perfectly suited to explore that a little bit. So yeah, she's the one that actually prompted me to do it. Yeah. And what was there like a turning point for you? Because it's like, it's one thing for somebody to go, Hey, I think you should write a book about this, but you kind of have to make that decision for yourself. Anything that led to you doing that? Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess I just I kept having stuff to say about it on the air. You got, you got a couple of co content every day, yeah. and it, but it was stuff I'm thinking about all the time. And the other thing was, honestly, there's so much deconstruction of masculinity and there's, there's a lot of books about that. And I appreciate that. And I respect it. I get it, but it has occurred to me. It's easy to de it's a lot easier to deconstruct than it is to construct something. I mean, that's just that's just generally true yeah. in physics and construction of anything and i, I just was kind of like okay i know what masculinity is not yeah but can anybody paint a vision of something that's actually life-giving about what it is because you need to have some vision for what you're doing or you'll never get it mm. so honestly that i think that's what did it too is just the discussion around masculinity without anybody actually saying okay is there anything distinctly good about it and if you can't articulate that then the deconstruction doesn't help us so much. Yeah, And I wasn't hearing a lot of people actually articulating that. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. What were some of the common things that you just kept hearing or that you, even that you still hear keep coming up whenever it comes to men and uh, masculinity and just kind of the, the issues and the struggles that they're dealing with? Well, the, the classic toxic masculinity that's built around domineering, sometimes it's narcissism, um, and I've encountered that in my own life. I mean, I'm coming at this from a, from a faith perspective, but mm -hmm. I've seen it in churches and organizations and what, I just see it a lot. Um, so that's, uh, that's what we're up against. On the other hand, um, since we have engaged that, um, a, a, something, a phenomenon that some friends of mine who are counselors told me they run into more and in, in marriage counseling is, is passivity. It's like it's not the domineering toxicity they call it toxic passivity where the guy just kind of checks out because he doesn't really know what he's supposed to be doing mm. um so those are the things i keep running i can't even remember your original question so i'm not yeah. sure if i if you're too far away <laughs> from it but i think i think that gets at it no and that again that's just part of the whole thing of just have like having conversations and just seeing where it goes totally and I appreciate that too. And uh, it's just funny when, when you hear yourself blabbering on for a while, you're like, did I answer his question? Uh, no, uh, I, I want to go back to uh, that passivity piece that you had mentioned, because that was something that really stood out to me in the book as well. Mm -hmm. um, I would be curious to hear of um, like, what does that tend to look like in, in a guy, maybe, you know, maybe in like a, a single guy and then also in like a married guy as well. Yeah. Um, <sighs> 
not how about this mm -hmm. as an example honestly what i see right now is the ability to just be online all the time uh and sort of have your needs met that way uh, and that can be your psychological needs in terms of like feeling a feeling of accomplishment uh there's a need that we all have for adventure and wanting to accomplish things and i feel like that can get leached off of us from games uh, and i say that as somebody who loves video games but like it's it's harder to level up in real life you don't get the dopamine hits in real life that you do from video games and again i'm not even saying they're evil mm -hmm. i'm saying they're they're almost too fun yeah like that's that that's a struggle for us. So and there's an analogy, obviously, with with pornography. There's a there's a phenomenon that's happening in in Japan that's well documented. The hikikomori, um, which are shut-ins, young guys who just shut in and they're entirely in their rooms, virtually satisfying themselves and not venturing outside of their own homes. And that has been documented not only in Japan but it's elsewhere spread throughout the West. So that's a, that's a kind of toxicity or a, to, a kind of passivity um, that I'm arguing against in the book. And I, it's not a guilt trip. I hope, I hope it doesn't come across as a guilt trip, but more like, hey man, we need you. We need you. So that if the larger ethos in the culture is, well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's what's the matter with it. And I'm trying to make the argument, actually you are hurting people because we needed you. and people needed you, uh, vulnerable, vulnerable people maybe have benefited from your skills and what you have to offer in the world. Um, or maybe a, a real flesh and blood woman would have benefited from having a husband like you. Um, so that's one thing I think, think single guys especially struggle with that could be married guys too. In a marriage context, I think the passivity is in not actively tending your garden. And that's, that's the that's the word picture I keep using is the keeper of the garden, uh, which is the job that Adam has given. Um, for instance, I was talking with Sherry, my friend today about, she knows somebody, you know, her, her nieces, friends or whatever, but they're 12, 13 years old on Facebook and they're sexualizing themselves on Instagram, I guess, not Facebook, like just with their photos of themselves and whatnot. And that, like, where's dad? Like, these are what I'm trying to say about the keeper of the garden is these are blooms that you are to protect. Like, these are vulnerable species in this garden. And you have to be actively involved. Sometimes it means a difficult conversation. Sometimes it means removing the technology. But you got to know what's going on mm -hmm. um, and actively be involved. What happens? Also, in terms of passivity that I've heard from, from counselors is that a lot of guys just get to a point where it's just like, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, and just want to check out. And there's no real engagement anymore romantically with the wife. There's no real life there. He's, he's, he's created a vacuum basically in the home and she's responsible for all the, for everything that happens, basically. Yeah. Um, he's quiet and doesn't, doesn't engage. So that. Those are some examples of what I'm talking about. Yeah. I would, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what is like, what's maybe driving that passivity or like, what is, what's the cause of, you know, that passivity? Well, that's a great question. And people could probably all have their, their own answers to it. I would say, again, there's a lack of vision. Hmm. 
no one's uh, to me maybe i'm missing it all but there's not there's not really anybody saying here's what masculinity really is like here's the vision it's like it's like having a puzzle but you don't have the box top i mean what am what is my purpose we haven't articulated that as a culture we heard, we just said don't not this not that not mm -hmm. the other thing and we're seeing this this happen i think there's a i think there's an inspiration that can happen i think it, that there's a light that goes on for guys that's what i'm trying to do yeah. actually it's like flip that switch so that guys are oh okay i got it so yeah i can do this i can do this in my sphere right now actually i can i can yeah i get it so there, there's got to be some positive vision if you're going to replace other things in your life it can't just be for nothing yeah and i i really do want to get into the vision piece and the construction piece that you talked about that stuff is mm -hmm. uh, very intriguing to me um, but one of the things that i want to ask before we move on to that is uh what has helped you become more comfortable with who you are in your masculinity and as a man because like at some point we all do have to wrestle with what that looks like in ourselves and how that is different than the image of masculinity that is presented to us. And so I would just love to hear kind of what that looked like for you of wrestling through that. Well, my experience, again, this is tough because, you know, single mom, my background, my parents got divorced a couple of times from each other and it was not a ideal situation. Um, so the modeling wasn't what you would hope. Uh, and I didn't have any girlfriends or anything. Um, not for lack of wanting girlfriends, I just didn't. I didn't know how to talk to girls. Uh, but what's happened, my, my wife now, like when I met her, uh, we were just pals. Uh, and she just thought I was funny. And after a while, you know, I told her I loved her. I just kind of blurted it out because that's my style. And, uh, you know, we wound up getting married pretty young. And she has built me up a lot, intentionally. Mm -hmm. Int like, really built me up. And also challenged me uh, at every turn, too. And I've realized that's central to my maturation as a human, is actually having a real flesh and blood person in my life challenging me mm -hmm. and if i threw myself into fantasy or just online stuff uh that would never happen because fantasies don't call you call that out of you um but they also don't build you up mm -hmm. like uh like my wife has she's told me i'm smart i'm I, you know I, it, this matters to me like tells me i'm smart i'm capable of doing stuff that she admires me she respects me um She's told me what she finds attractive and what she doesn't in my character. And that's pretty persuasive. <laughs> like if your wife's like, that's, uh, you know, ew, don't, don't talk like that or responds really well to something I'm doing. Like, that's cool. That's all of this is, all of this is very shaping. The other thing is I, I always doubt my own expertise and I never feel like I really know what I'm doing. But on the other hand, I'm aware too that the world, the culture at large, doesn't really know what it's doing either. And maybe I feel I feel now that our kids are out of the house that I must have, yeah, the stuff I have is worth sharing. So I do it with a little bit of trepidation because I realize I still have a lot to learn. But my goodness, somebody, I wish somebody my age would have put a book like this in my hand when I was younger. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go back to, you mentioned that, you know, growing up, you didn't really feel like you had a model growing up to show you mm-hmm. what that looked like. And so is, was like, how, how did you like, I don't, I'm, I don't even know what the exact question is that I'm trying to ask, but like, what helped yeah. you? Is it just like, man, I was just kind of floating along and, you know, maybe a little bit hopeless. And then, you know, you met your wife and everything was okay. What, what did that look like? I think, I think, uh, I think it's the grace of God. I don't know. I don't, it is, it's a very fine question and I don't have a great okay. answer for it. Uh, but I've, I'm thankful um, for for whatever wisdom I have, I have asked for wisdom. That, that, you know what? I have done that. I have literally asked for a long time. And I don't want to underrate that for whatever I have. And again, <laughs> I need more of it, but I have actively asked for it. And I think God, to, to the extent that I have it, that's an answer to the prayer. Like he's, he's faithful on that one. So some things I've just, I've learned, maybe it's been helpful to me to be on the outside of what typical masculinity is like be playing a flute in the band and not being able to do athletics. I have neurological problems too, that keep me from seeing straight. So I can't hunt, you know, I can't shoot a basketball very well. I, I certainly can't hit a baseball. I played eight years of baseball and never got a hit because I can't see very well. So maybe that forces you into being on the outside, kind of looking in and examining, well, what, it, what is it, what does it mean to be a guy? Yeah. And what is good about, what is distinctly good about being masculine? Cause I can't do some of that stuff, but what is it that, what is it really that we were looking for that the world's looking for? Yeah. I, I do kind of want to turn the corner and talk about the, the vision and the construction piece of it. Um, but is there anything else like on the you know, you mentioned the deconstruction side that is just top of mind. That's like, Hey, this is actually pretty important to this conversation that we haven't talked about yet. No. Um, I, I think it's, again, I want to say that it's valuable. Like my book's not a reaction to just deconstruction. Like, Whoa, we yeah. gotta, you know, stand up. <laughs> it's not that at all. Um, but it, it, so there's value to it, but this is like, I'm taking a crack at it. Yeah. And I think, I do think it's hard. I do think it's harder to lay something out than it is to rip something down. So, yeah. Yeah. And talk, talk to me a little bit about that, what that process looked like you for building like this, this vision of masculinity and what that can look like. Well, I was struck by the fact that from the very outset, I mean, we're talking about God's image being male and female. It's in Genesis one. Like, so he creates a man and woman and his image is male and female which is so interesting. So from the outset, there's that distinction. So when you try to make that distinction, they're like, well, where does that come from? And honestly, in the narrative, it's so brilliant because to me, Adam is given the job of keeper of the garden. Eve is not. It doesn't mean that she can't fulfill those roles. It just means that he's made for it. And that, that particular thing, I think what I've noticed Early on, this was in college. I noticed, and I, I, I note this at the top of the at the top of the book. There was this poster in the house, the girls' house across the street at the University of Illinois, and they all had the same poster in their rooms. It was the same dude holding a baby, and it is the most popular poster in the history of posters. Like it sold more than five million posters. It's called L'Enfant. It's this, this French photographer that took this picture. But the guy in the picture, I know he's a good-looking guy. He's not totally jacked or anything, but he has, his shirt is off. It's more of an artsy picture from a profile. 
he's wearing jeans and he's sitting there with a baby. And I wonder, what's the big deal with this? I mean, there's a million good looking guys you could have pictures of, but what is this? And they said, it's the way the baby's looking at him. Like, well, that's really interesting. So we're really, what is, what is about that, that women recognize like this guy is so hot because of the way this baby is looking at him. So I've always wondered about that. And I, I showed some pictures one time and then I did it repeatedly at like groups of what, talking to a school or youth group or maybe hundreds of people at a time. But I would show these pictures of these normal dudes just from the news. I just Google like uh, photos of guys pulling people out of a ditch or after an accident or there's a like a Japanese soldier pulling an old woman out of a village and there's a fireman getting somebody and they're average guys and some of them are a little bit portly they're all different races different places around the world but nothing there's nothing spectacular about these guys at all they don't look like male models and I would just fire through the pictures and I would say something at the end I say hey ladies for the ladies who are here um are these guys attractive and there's this unanimous, immediate, visceral, yes, like instantly. And so I go back through the photos. I'm like, guys, I want you to take note of this because I want you to look at these guys again. You heard that reaction. None of these guys are models. Why are they so wildly attractive? There's something about protection. There's something about taking action to defend the vulnerable and protect the vulnerable that women intuit, this is my theory, they intuit that that's what we're for. That's why it's so attractive. And I, I was trying to tell guys, it's like, you don't do it to be attractive. I mean, you can, it's up to you, but, but at a deeper level to understand this is that we have this purpose. And the fact that it's there in Genesis with Adam, that he's the keeper of the garden. So he's the protector of the garden. He's a gardener which is a place where species that couldn't thrive in the survival of the fittest wilderness get to thrive and bloom. And you have to cultivate it out of chaos. You have, to, you have to make order out of chaos so that these beautiful things can thrive. I'm like, so creating a space, creating a space where people can thrive and flourish around us and defending that space and those within it seems to me to be the core of masculinity. And when women respond, guys will be like, well, they, guys, they just like men with big muscles and stuff like that. I'm like, no, actually they don't. Like women don't. And here's what I mean by that. They do and they don't. At first they might, at first they do, like might find you know, a certain build to be ideal. But if you turn out not to be a keeper of the garden, if you get married and you're actually a threat with your muscles, you're not a protector, or you don't, you don't care enough and she suspects that you wouldn't become a protector or you flirt with other women, for instance, she's gonna hold those muscles against you. You're actually repulsive now, you're not attractive. See, the thing was that was a signifier in the beginning, it was a signifier of maybe he's a protector. That's at a, a, you know, a primal level. But if those things turn out to not be protective and keeper of the garden stuff women actually resent it which again suggests to me that there's something to this because women are so intuitively brilliant about calling when they're when they're on their game about calling us out to be who we're supposed to be so that is what really 
got me into thinking that the keeper of the guard might be the best rubric that we can have. And again, I'm just taking a shot at yeah. it, but it's as I talk to women and men about this, women in particular going, yes, 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 yes. And I'm having women who are self-described feminists who have been reading in my launch team and they're going, yeah, that's it. Like, so people will flourish around me because I'm embodying these things. I'm not domineering, I'm not passive, but I'm protective and I am gentle. Yeah, and I hope that makes sense. Oh yeah, that make that makes sense. It even it even makes me think of you know, outside of like the male female dynamic, like if like let's say that you have uh you know a leader who's in charge of you, that's what you want from like a leader, <laughs> too. Like, right. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. So that you're you're coming alongside people and making a space for them to flourish. Yeah. For them to thrive, you're not using them to prop yourself up. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, another, like a, a word that just is constantly repeated all throughout the book, which is really one of my big takeaways from it, is you talk about responsibility in, in this conversation mm -hmm. as well. Can you touch on how responsibility also plays a factor into that vision that you were talking about? Yeah, I think, I think taking responsibility is the beginning of this. Um, and a lot of guys honestly are struggling right now to take responsibility for themselves and i'm like well, that's a beginning point but it's extremely masculine in my view to then take responsibility for the people around you and that can that that those concentric circles can grow out uh, i love the fact this is a blessing to me but i love the fact that i get to work for these this hospital network here International Children's Hospital. So we do orthopedic surgeries and neurosurgeries for kids with correctable disabilities. And I love that I get, even with, I, I can't, I'm not a surgeon, I can't do that stuff, but all I have is words, but I get to use my words to help protect these extremely vulnerable people. These are the poorest of the poor and they're kids that are often kicked out of their own communities because they have some kind of a disability. It makes them different. And, uh, I get to be a part of their healing. Like, and that means being able to walk or run or play like for the first time and their parents related. Like, I can't believe I get to be a part of that. But it's kind of neat because as I've grown up as a man, like those, I do think those concentric circles start to ripple outward. And um, I love that I get to do that. So that's a word picture featuring me, Brant Hansen, but I mean, there's a billion better examples, but I just, I always marvel at the fact that I can, in some ways, take responsibility for people I don't know far away. Yeah. For, for the person who's listening and maybe like, what would you say to like, how, how do you, I mean, how, it may be too simple of a question. How do you be more responsible? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a, how to be more responsible. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. It's a great question. Um, I need more coffee. <laughs> need more co like, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, Caleb, yeah. it's a great question. I, I don't have a, I, I don't have a quick, answer. I guess, I guess I see it as sort of a face value. Mm -hmm. thing. Maybe that's, that's, yeah. But, and, and, I, and I guess this is maybe, maybe this can help lead us to 
maybe something that can help us be more responsible. Is there, are there any signs that you've seen of like, maybe for yourself of like, man, I might not be taking as much responsibility or ownership for this area. Oh, that yeah. I need Okay. To. There you go. Yeah. Nice job. That's good. <laughs> it did make me think of something like uh, blaming other people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, 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 the tendency to blame is right there, right off the bat. It's so, it's so much a part of our human makeup in order to justify ourselves when you don't have to justify yourself and you can say, I blew that. I'm sorry. Now we're talking, Mm. but Adam from the very start manages to pull off what I call the double blame move. There's really only, well, there's, there's three main characters in this narrative. He blames the other two for his failure to be a keeper of the garden. He messes up the first man in ancient literature messes up and blames the woman and God at the same time by saying, it's this woman you gave me. Like, so he's like, he's managing in one sentence to blame everybody but him. That's just so part of who we are, unfortunately. Um, And uh, getting over that is a huge part of taking responsibility. So it's not about somebody else's that they did this or that. And we can all do that. We've all been through things. We could do that, but um, I don't want to do that anymore. I think it's a, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. It, it even made me think of like, just being able to say the phrase after we've done something of like, I have done everything that I can to, because huh. I, it just made me think because part of it is the blame thing. And part of it is like, sometimes we do the best that we can. And it still isn't good enough. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think owning that going, well, yeah, try. Yeah. Just accepting the result. Yeah. That's just something that. Yeah. Being being able to say, I don't know is a big part of that. Mm. I think uh, that's that being saying, I don't know is doesn't come easily to people. There's a, there's a phenomenon called the confabulation where it's literally con like together and fabulation from fables, like putting together a fable to avoid saying, I don't know, you come up with stories in your head to fill in the blanks and then you act like this really happened or I actually know this and you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like that part of taking responsibility growing up is like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like you asked, you asked a good question. I'm okay with going, I don't know. <laughs> and then you clarify with an even better question. And they're like, okay, maybe I do have an idea. Uh, um, another thing that I wanted to, to ask you about is um you know in in some of the relationships uh that i've been in the past and you know some of some of the relationship advice that i've gotten is is you know you don't want to fix the situation you know whenever it comes to women and and so i would just be curious your thoughts on maybe teasing out um kind of like what the difference can look like between trying to fix a situation and maybe being responsible or helping someone flourish well again it is about helping somebody flourish so let's say it is my wife. And that has been a problem with me too, where I've had to realize a long time ago, she just wants me to listen. Mm-hmm. She wants somebody to listen. Somebody really loves her. So to me, taking responsibility and being a keeper of the garden is for this woman who's brilliant to have somebody to talk to and is focused on her. I mean, it's incredibly important. And that doesn't come naturally to me at all, but this is the woman I married. She put all of her chips on one number on the old roulette thing or whatever. I'm trying to use a gambling (laughs) metaphor. I don't even know. Like she slid all those chips on my number. 
I, I need to listen to her. Like I do want her to thrive and to flourish. So that's a, that's a big part of it. Maybe she does need me to do something. I can ask about that. Mm -hmm. What about this? What about that? But ultimately, ultimately she's usually just very thankful if I just sit with her, which I do every evening. I mean, we sit sometimes hours our kids are out of the house now, but we've always prioritized that. We put them to bed so early. It was ridiculous yeah. uh, so that we had time just to connect. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier. You know, you had, or you mentioned that like in the, in the test readings and stuff like that, you had a bunch of women and, you know, feminists uh, read through the book and you mentioned one of the things that really stood out to them. I would be, I would just be curious to hear what else from the book was like a, wow, this really stood, stood out to them or really resonated with them. Um, so far, the discussion about about actually trying to deal with real life instead of fake stuff, mm -hmm. the value of that, um, that's been especially resonant for guys, but I've heard women say that they need their sons to absorb this because it's such a problem. And again, the way I'm trying to to deal with it is not through guilting it's through another vision of you don't want to look back when you're 80 and go all my adventures were virtual the other thing is the things that the thing about failing to love people like we can which is what sin means the, the original word kata in the hebrew means failing to love people in a way that honors the image of god failing to love god or in people in a way that fails to honor his image, like not showing up, uh, not becoming who we could have been. You make those decisions, they're ultimately isolating. That's the thing about sin, it's always isolating. It ends up just you and in a picture. Like, are you in a, like now, it's a, you and a robot, are you in a, it's a lifeless thing. That it's, that's always true of sin. So you're going to wind up by yourself as an old guy because you didn't make you didn't make any real commitments and that's, that's what i was trying to say too don't be scared of making commitments be scared of not making them because commitments are the only way you have poetry in life you have to bind yourself to things you have to decide things you can't be a free agent the rest of your life like decisions literally the root word for decision is like incisor or scissors it means to cut off there has to be some cutting off that happens some roads that you don't take and commitments you make to people. That's what actually gives your life poetry. So I think those, those things so far as people are going through the book are particularly resonant. Um, there's like a reading plan for our launch team. So they're like halfway through right now. Yeah. Um, talk, so, talk to me about the power of commitment and what commitment is able to do for us. Well, as I was mentioning with regard to like virtual life, they make you make no commitments. The women, the pixelated women will never make you get up at 3 a.m. to go to Rite Aid because they don't feel very good. That's never going to happen. They never ask you to do anything. I use the example in the book of this. Uh, it's a, a Russian wrestling guy. He looks like the ideal outdoors Russian mountain dude. He's huge. He's a bodybuilder. He's got the manliest beard and everything. Just a massive, tough-looking dude. 
and he's married a doll. And he started an Instagram account for this doll. And he's quite serious about being married to this doll. And he says, the great thing about her is she doesn't talk back to me. Like, that's right. That's right. She doesn't talk back to you, does she? Like, she ne she'll never call you out to grow up. So <laughs> I want to present this, um, this life where you are actually challenged. Um, and it's through that, that you actually grow up. Um, I don't know if that addresses your question or not, but I was just kind of free associating, but I think, it, I think it's related. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I want to hit on uh, another decision uh, that you talk about in the book and you talk about uh, the decision to make women and children feel safe, not threatened. Can you tease mm -hmm. that out of what that looks like? Yeah. Well, okay. For a lot of us, we'll think, well, of course I, I don't threaten, but you might. A, if, let's say you're a passive dad or your passive husband that's at, at root that's pretty threatening because she's not sure exactly where the stability from you is coming from like it's still it's sort of a vacuum of potential chaos um but the other thing is with your words like your wife may not feel safe around you because of your sarcasm she may not feel secure or your lack of expressiveness of love for her and that's something i've always struggled with i've never been very expressive but i've gotten better at it i have to i have to i've been good i've been good about watching my reactions and my tone of voice i've grown in that area i needed to uh but the little put downs or the subtle sarcasm can be a curse uh i've heard dallas willard put it that way like we either bless or curse in every conversation we either add value or we subtract it and we do that in our marriages, we do that in our homes. But you can curse without even saying a word. A pause can be a curse. She says, I love you, and you pause. Yeah, I love you too. Like, well, what was that? It's, it's the slightest things, but there's so much at stake in a relationship. And <laughs> one guy, I quoted him, he, he was in another book, uh, a guy had mentioned his friend had said, I always thought I would defend my wife against an intruder. I would always step up to defend her. And I'd kill the guy if I have to. But he said, then I realized the intruder is actually me with my words, with the things I say, with the hurtfulness that I can bring. And the, the guy who needs to be stopped is me. I need a change. And I think that's really true. Like uh, you want this, you want these people around you to flourish and feel secure. Like that's going to start with the things you actually say, um, and then obviously do when necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's uh, several other decisions that you cover in the book. I would just be curious your thoughts on what's what's a decision that you write about in the book that's kind of standing out to you right now. Um, I, I end it with take responsibility for your own spiritual life. I think it's a real hard thing for guys. It's another, another way I could have answered your question about take responsibility. Like, what does that look like? <laughs> um, the spiritual life thing, we kind of farm that out sometimes. Um, we might show up or give intellectual assent to faith things or may show up at church or whatever, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually engaging God with some passion. 
like with some chutzpah, like like conversing with him. And I want to explain to guys too, like I am not a particularly emotional person. And a lot of guys I know who are like that will maybe bow out of church culture entirely because they're not having an emotional response that it looks like that the church expects them to. The way things are set up with a band and you know rising choruses and modulations and another big chorus and then lights and lasers and fog and stuff like that's all to create this feeling and that works for some people they like that feeling but for me i don't it doesn't really do anything for me um so if if people aren't very mature in their faith they can think well i don't feel god around everybody else does or something i guess i'm just such a sinner i'm so messed up or Maybe there really isn't a God. Maybe, I mean, this is not paying off for me. But what I'm trying to tell them is actual faith, I have really good news. Actual faith in God in the Bible has not, is not emotional. It's not about emotions. It can be emotional, but it's not about emotions. It's about something else, which we guys can be pretty good at, and it's called loyalty. Mm. Like just believing loyalty is mentioned so often God's loyalty toward us, but our loyalty towards him. And that just means showing up and continuing to engage him with your life, continuing to turn your attention toward him. And I also want guys to know that what, you, what you're paying attention to shapes who you're becoming entirely. And God's very interested in who you're becoming. So what you're, what you're paying attention to is shaping that. Keep turning your attention back to God, even if it's for a few seconds here and there, but engaging him like you don't have to be emotional about it. He's looking for loyalty. And that's something we can do. I can do that. And once I realized that, I'm like, oh, this is good. I can do this. And, and I've grown a lot since then, honestly. Yeah. Uh, w one, one thing that I want to make sure that we talk, and we talked about it a little bit as well, but, uh, you know, people are getting married later. Guys are getting married later. And it's easy, I think, to maybe put off this conversation until it's like, oh man, uh -huh. I'm going to be okay. I'm, you know, I'm not married yet. All of that stuff. Uh, what would you say to the person who's like, yeah, I know that you're not married now, but this is like, what would you say to that person? Well, for, for me, a lot of the book stuff is not, it doesn't matter whether you're married yeah. or not. I mean, I do, I do spend some time on, on oath really, but it, it all applies. And you yeah. can start embodying this now, your purpose here of being a keeper of the garden. It's just your sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So I even said that to my little boy when he was like seven, he was picking on um, Julia, his sister. I'm like, Justice, you have a job. It's to defend your sister. And you're picking on her. Like you're the, you're the guy that needs to be guarded against. That's not right. You're supposed to guard her. And that clicked for him. And we did not have a problem. I don't remember a problem like that again. I mean, a, a kid can understand that. He's a long way away from marriage, but he can already understand that I'm here to defend the vulnerable in my midst. And I don't want to threaten. I don't want, people should not feel threatened because I'm around. A woman shouldn't feel threatened because I'm around. She might, but hopefully once she knows my character, she'll feel secure and my neighborhood will be safer because i'm here whether they realize it or not it's safer because i'm in this place i think that's i think that's a worthy way of thinking about it whether you're married or not yeah tease out tease out the neighborhood piece about my neighborhood is safer because i'm here that really stood out to me in the book yeah um so i'm pretty involved in our neighborhood personally which is weird because i'm an introvert but I've, I've gotten better at this i actually know people now um and i like them 
once I realized, like I wrote this book called Unoffendable several years ago, and I, I, it freed me up not to be scandalized by people, like no matter what. So I, I like all my neighbors. It was just honestly true. Um, so I keep an eye out and I'm engaged in what's going on outside. There's been a couple of, there's been several situations over time where I've had to intervene in something. Uh, and again, I'm not a big tough guy and I'm an introvert and I'd rather leave it alone, but I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm here for. So my wife thinks it's really attractive when I do that stuff, even though I've, I've, I haven't like gotten a fight. It's been close a couple of times, but um, yeah, that's it. It's, it's wild too, because you know this, when it comes to crime statistics, it's so heavily young men it's, it's crazy. I can't remember the exact stats, but young guys, 18, 20, 25 years old, so overrepresented. You're in your physical prime and you're given this desire to take risks and, and whatnot. I'm like, yes, that's all good, but it's for this purpose, not to threaten people. People should see healthy 22-year-olds in the neighborhood, guys, and think, oh man, I'm glad they're here. But they, they don't because the way we've, we've, we haven't been keepers of the garden, but Man, if we did, having healthy guys in their athletic prime around who are going to willing to take risks to defend people—that's a pretty—that's a pretty awesome asset. Yeah, uh, I've just had—I've just had this thought while while we're talking, and I'd just be curious for your take on it. Of even as it pertains to you know being keepers of the garden and helping people flourish and um, and and protect them, of just realizing that that is a thing for just the people that we should be doing for for our life, for the people who are closest to us in all of our life. And, yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That's totally true. No, 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 no. I, I just going to ditto what you said. That's exactly right. Yeah. Cause I, cause I was just thinking, you know, I think it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is me projecting stuff onto it, but I think sometimes it can be tempting to go like, Oh, this is like a conversation that I apply to, you know, my partner or my wife or whoever that might be. And it's like, no, it is so much more than that. It's like a lifestyle. Like, Oh, saying. totally. Yeah. Absolutely. No, this is this is to be inhabited in your sphere of influence. So I was trying to say, like, your garden yeah. is that. And you can get deeper theologically yeah. about this. And you're in a in a way, like that's that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like I'm I'm asking God to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And he partners with us using our spheres of influence to make it more like the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like that's my garden. Yeah. And so that is it's not just this is not just about marriage and yeah. kids at all this is just whatever your role is and wherever you're working whatever you're doing whatever you're studying yeah uh i have i have one last thing that i want to ask you but is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we cover no I, you've done a good job of covering stuff there's a there's a lot more stuff we could talk about but it's not i mean you're hitting on all the major points yeah so uh last thing i want to ask you is i would just be uh very intrigued to hear what have you learned about uh, masculinity because of or through Jesus? Hmm. Um, I am struck by the responsibility that he takes for the entire world. Hmm. Like that's, we, we know that anybody who's a, a believer in Jesus as the savior and Lord, like is remarkable. Also, the way he he exalts the vulnerable, his gentleness, he's approachable by the humble and women, the way he exalts women in a scandalous way for his time and setting. I've been places in my time where 
the stuff that Jesus did, if it happened there, the guys in the room would all be like, what are you doing? She cannot be in here. You cannot defend her like this. The fact that he makes the first Christian missionary in history is a woman with a bad reputation. Like that's to me, strikingly masculine and getting at what I'm talking about. Um, also his lack of coercion. Hmm. He coerces no one. There's no power trip, even though he's the most powerful of all. He lets people walk away from him. He could, he could say, no, no, come here, back, come back. Uh, look, let me straighten this out here. You need to understand. He, he says things and lets people walk off. Satan offers him all the power of coercion in the world, like the like earthly power. And he says, no. Like, that's not the way my kingdom works. And I find that very interesting. Uh, and I think it's a great example for everybody, of course, but for me as a man, you can be tempted to use whatever force you can bring to force your will. And Jesus doesn't do that. He's very scrupulous about not doing that. I find it really fascinating. Yeah. So there's some examples. Well, Brant, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book, keep up with you, all that good stuff. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? Um, Amazon's great. It, uh, and it's called, again, it's just called The Men We Need. I, I propose humbly that you buy enough that you can rent a helicopter, just drop them all <laughs> over your your neighborhood or city or state. Yeah. That's just, that's just an idea. I'm yeah. just throwing it out there. Okay. Uh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and thanks for just doing the work. My pleasure. You're such a good interviewer, man. You really are. You're thoughtful and good questions. And it's so nice. I do enough interviews where and I've done them on your end too, over the years, thousands of them, but like I've done enough on this side now that I really appreciate thoughtfulness and yeah all that that's wonderful yeah well thanks again for you're welcome and uh thanks so much for being on the podcast sure thing caleb thanks man so coming out of that conversation with brant i would say there's two things that really stood out to me uh, from this conversation, or at least two big takeaways that I'm, uh, you know, taking away from this conversation. The first one is just what we were talking about there towards the end of the idea of uh, taking responsibility for the flourishing and protection of the people who are closest to us in our life. And, and just realizing that and actually, uh, even as I'm talking, I'm thinking of like a, another third thing as well. But I would say that's the big thing. That's one of the things is thinking about the, the flourishment and the protection of the people in my life and trying to figure out what that looks like. I would say the second thing is this, is having that, that positive vision for what something can look like in your life as well. You know, as as he mentioned in there, it's, it's very... Um, you know, and there is there is a piece of deconstruction as well of, you know, tearing away what no longer works or what is no longer suitable or what it, maybe what is no longer healthy in some cases. Um, but but also not leaving it there, but having a vision for what life can look like, what, you know, faith or even in this case, what masculinity can look like and having a vision for that of what that what that looks like so you can build on something. 
And I think the last thing that I want to mention is just the idea of um, taking responsibility. And, you know, for me, thinking through the areas of my life to where I I maybe have not been as responsible as as maybe I maybe as I need to be. And maybe I have not been as responsible um, and it's, you know, maybe affecting, you know, could could potentially affect my future and stuff. And so just thinking through that stuff and thinking about where are the areas in my life that that I can be more responsible as well. What what can I do to better lead to the flourishment and uh, and protection of the people that I love? And, you know, maybe, you know, for me uh, someday, you know, maybe for my my future spouse or partner and even kids. And so thinking through that as well. So those are some of the things that are standing out to me, some of the things that I'm thinking about. And I would love to hear from you as well. And some of the things that you're thinking about from this conversation, or just some of the things that you're learning from or, or thinking about, uh, as it turns out. So the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you on that. If you enjoyed this episode, you know, hit subscribe, follow, you know, leave a rating, write a review, all of that good stuff in there and uh if you're enjoying this you know make sure that you subscribe to the newsletter you know i usually give out a couple of resources each week of some of the things that i'm learning from some of my big takeaways from there and so if you're looking for good recommendations the newsletter is the place to go for all of those things i think that's all that i have for today i want to give a shout out and say thanks to sam massey for providing the music for this podcast thank you to brant for being on the podcast thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode that's all that i have for today my name is caleb mason and until next time keep learning keep growing